when unexpected things happen, you just keep going. <laughs> or you do nothing. <laughs> That's actually what I want to talk about today, nothing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Is that good? More music? Oh. Even I can say something about nothing. Um, so, um, you might be thinking, you know, you mean to tell me I got ready, I, did, I chose to come to Unity this morning, and the minister's got nothing for me? <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you that nothing is really important to our topic of facing life changes. And welcome, by the way, to those of you who are online viewing. Thank you for being with us. And those of you who are outdoors, thank you for being with us. All right, there's the outdoor crowd cheering. <laughs> you know, Melissa Etheridge sings, the only thing in life that stays the same is change. It's a common, you know, conventional thing that we know that tr that's the truth, right? That human life is all about change, yet, oh boy, do we resist it, don't we? You know, even though we know this, that this is what it's about, and that there are going to be on this, you know, as spiritual beings in this human experience, there are going to be all these markers in our lives, big markers, some of them, like first steps and first words and coming of age and graduating and finding our first job or our true love, and, and then the endings of relationships, right? Marriage and the possibility of divorce comes our way sometimes. Uh, the career we love and at some point retirement comes. And so there are all these things that we deal with. Some of us deal with gender change, which is an enormous process of bravery. And the more I learn about that, the more just deep respect I have for for what people go through to make those transitions. Some of us uh, caregive elderly parents, or we deal with, we have the big change of having children and then having them flee the nest, right? Yeah. Right, Lisa? <laughs> Almost getting ready to graduate, so she's her, her youngest. So there's those processes, and I could name a bunch more, but you got them. Change is inevitable. Here's the thing, though. There's this word we use interchangeably, if you will, with change called transition, which is something a little bit different. Transition is participatory. Transition can be a choice. And transition really points us in the spiritual direction to move through life's changes. So let's see how we do today as we move through spiritually transition through change with nothing at the center of it all. So from my own experiences, I have found that through life's changes, to meet them with spiritual transition, there's basically four phases. They don't always have to go in a particular order, but they tend to kind of fall in this order when an ending has happened anyway. And it's embracing, emoting, empty or emptying, and envision or envisioning. The four E's, that's how you can remember that. We'll put it up on the screen later if you, if you want to remember those. So embracing, embracing what is, it helps us tremendously to just accept, right? The conditions as they are, the circumstances as they are, to meet them as they are. This can be a really hard one for us in New Thought 
Because a lot of our teaching is about becoming and co-creating and, and desiring and claiming and expecting and affirming, you know. So this human heart piece that is about saying, okay, this is what it is right now. These are the circumstances that are happening in life right now. And to meet that in an authentic way. Let's start with the big one, you know, in, in our New Thought Circles. We like to say at the end of life, we've made our transition, which is great because it points to our teachings of life is ongoing, but it's really hard sometimes for the human mind to wrap its head around the loss of somebody who has been a significant part of our lives. And sometimes we just need to say, my beloved died, or we need to hear it. We need somebody else to say it to us so we can really confront the reality that their physical presence will no longer be with us. And still have, of course, a relationship and all kinds of things can happen with our ongoing connection um, and the memories in our heart, of course. But accepting, that's a huge piece. Dr. Paul O. said in the AA Big Book, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And then he went on to explain it in greater detail. He said, when I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that that person, place, thing, or situation is being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Take that in for a minute. Apply it, because <laughs> there's always something we can apply it to, right, in our lives. I must keep my magic magnifying mind. I love that. My magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations. For my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. And when I remember this, I can see I've never had it so good. Thank you, God. Yeah, it's a good one, isn't it? So where we are uncomfortable a lot of times is in this space of ex expecting when what we really need to be doing is accepting, embracing, whatever it is. So embrace and then emote the second phase. We all want the pain to go away and have it be good times and joyful times all the time, don't we? <laughs> and sometimes in our human walk, there are difficult things that come our way, and the joy might feel a little bit further away, the happiness, whatever it is that, that we're hoping to have all the time. So a recognition that we are emotional beings as human beings too, and we have a heart to tend to. So we can cry or yell or journal or whatever will help us. Talk, exercise, pray, dig in the dirt, create something, enact a ritual. All those things will help us emote and embrace and honor whatever it is that is up in our lives and keep our wholeness intact while we do it. So honoring what was can... Um, so it can be an important part of this, and sometimes it's, you know, we don't think of that, especially if we are moving on to something that we're excited about. 
So we're opening a new door. It's really exciting. We're going on. But if we don't take time to just recognize and honor and, and be with what is being left behind, we can miss a little piece that gets left behind. You know, we want all of our wholeness all the time. Uh, so that's part of the walk. So you could take Marie Kondo's approach to decluttering, because she takes a real spiritual approach to decluttering, if you've ever seen her, her program. She goes in, I think it's called tidying up. She goes into the person's apartment or home, and she asks them kind of where they're they're the center of their home is or something like that. And she goes and sits in meditation. And some of these people like, never experience this kind of thing. So they're like, what is this woman doing? You know, before she gets busy with pull all your clothes out of the closet and let's go, you know. But her process is to ask for each item whether it sparks joy. And if it does, then you keep it. And if it doesn't, when you release it, you don't just throw it in the release pile. You hold it for a minute and bless it and thank it. For the way that it served you. Now, if we can honor a shirt <laughs> or an old pair of socks or a worn book, we probably could take the time to honor relationships, jobs, our home, whatever it is that we are moving from. It matters, and we can do it through ritual. Now, ritual might not be part of your everyday practice, but here's the truth. It's in our bones. We can tap our indigenous selves because it's all a part of our DNA as human beings back to the beginning of time when ritual and ceremony was so much a part of life, everyday life. And it is, of course, in some places in the world very much so. And I think there's been a real infusion of ritual coming back into our everyday lives. We do a lot of ritual, we just don't always recognize it in that way. And that's what brings the spiritual consciousness in. So if you don't know how to honor something in particular, you can just ask spirit to show me a way to create a ritual that will honor this whatever it is I'm saying goodbye to right now or bringing closure to. Sabonfu Somme, who's from the Dagari tribe and made it her life's work to bring those practices, those rituals and ceremonies to the West, said that ritual is to the soul what food is to the body. So it's that care for the soul that we do. When we're in the emoting stage, it's also important not to add insult to injury if possible. I was thinking about um, back in the day when I lived in Chicago and um, felt the call to, to move to, to um, Kansas City and start working at Silent Unity. And with it came the ending of my relationship with my partner at the time, Dawn, but we still co-owned a condo in Chicago. So whenever I would come home to visit my family in Chicago, I would go to the condo, at least the first few visits home. And every time I crossed the threshold, even if she wasn't there, I would just feel this deep sadness. So I started seeing a therapist in Kansas City, and I said, you know, every time I go back to Chicago and I go to the condo, I feel this deep sadness. And he said, oh, yeah? He goes, so a man went to the doctor and said, hey, doc, my arm hurts when I do this. And the doctor said, don't do that. <laughs> And I said, oh. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're in those emotional places, it's like our sensibilities just don't really work, right? And we need somebody to just, you know, our, our mental capacity isn't as clear, our thinking isn't as clear. 
And it really helps to have somebody reflect back, like, oh, yeah, if it hurts, don't, you know, we don't have to, you know, just because we're, we're embracing and emoting and moving through our grief doesn't mean we have to make it worse. It doesn't mean you have to listen to every sappy love song you've ever heard <laughs> because your heart is broken, you know? It's like, maybe if it helps you in the process, but if it makes it worse, turn it off. Listen to something joyful, you know, whatever it may be that we need. So um, when we come then to this third phase of emptiness, this is where we meet nothing. And it's that place after one door closes and another one has yet to open that we're basically standing in the hallway. And that is not a comfortable place for humans to be. Have you noticed that? Yeah, we do not like that, especially our egos do not like that. It's the unknown. It's like the drifting through space period. You know, it's like there's no mooring. There's no sense of what comes next. We can't figure our way out of it because we're in this sort of liminal space. And that is one of the richest spiritual spaces we could ever be in. It's the pause between the breath. It's the still point of the dance, as T.S. Eliot would say. It's in there that we are in a very rich place, but we ourselves tend to, and our whole culture tends to say, get out of there quick, open a door, <laughs> right? Get moving. And so it's that, that process of recognizing that we are in an important place. In the sacred uh, purpose of being human, Jacqueline Small, the author, talks about the importance in our wholeness of standing at nil, Nil, of course, is nothing, right? It's that neutral place. And nil is that pause between the action. It's that place of seeming nothingless. It's a place where we tend to feel emptiness. It's a neutral place too, though. It's a center. If you think of a teeter-totter, it's like the fulcrum of the teeter-totter. And so all the teeter-tottering of emotions and ideas and things that happen for us, you know, our, our joy is on one side and our pain is on another. The anger is on one side. Our compassion is on another. Fear and love. And, you know, should I do this or should I do that? All of that is in that teeter-totter space. Yet nil is that neutral place, that center place. It's the hallway. And it's okay to be in the hallway. <laughs> That's what I think we need to say to ourselves. That could be our mantra when we're in those spaces in life. It's okay to be in the hallway. Just breathe. It doesn't mean you're in trouble. <laughs> or whatever it is that we think from, you know, from school times that, that might come up there. So nil is a point of unconditional acceptance and observation. It's that place where we just notice, you know, what's going on inside of me? How am I feeling about being here? Can I just be with wherever I am and rediscover my wholeness in the process? To know that we have the capacity for, for so many things that are in aspects of our wholeness. And, and standing at nil is kind of a, an ability to, to dissolve, to simplify. You know, when, when we're making things too complex, when we've got a lot of competing ideas going on in our minds or inner conflict, when we stand at nil, it all comes down and simplifies. And it's like, oh, okay, that's doable. You know, it's kind of like, don't do that. You know, it's just, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it now. So at nil, as I mentioned, we'll feel, we're likely to feel some of those feelings of, of um, emptiness. And 
just to embrace it, just to be okay with it, to breathe into it. We can use our spiritual practices there, especially things like meditation, or if you have a movement practice that's, that's a spiritual movement practice like Qigong or Tai Chi or yoga. There are pauses that are natural in those practices. And so using those practices to really ground ourselves with making friends with the empty spaces, with the pause, allows us then to move through it more gracefully and to know that the divine is always there. Spirit's got our back, is always with us, even in these seeming places of emptiness. The emptiness approach, of course, is counterculture, right? Our frantic cry is usually, don't just stand there, do something, right? When When a big thing happens in our lives and we're flipping on its head and saying, don't just do something, stand there or sit there or be there. Hard to do sometimes, right? Anybody have trouble with this idea? Yeah. So in Finding Yourself in Transition, a unity book by Reverend uh, Robert Brummett, he talks about how when we are in this stage of the in-between, we tend to want to create a pseudo-new beginning. We want to assert our new life. We want to assert what's happening and open that door too soon. And when we do that, it is exactly that, a pseudo-new beginning, right? Doesn't allow ourselves to be in the process that we're really meant to be in. We miss that whole liminal, rich, spiritual space. And we just create busyness in our lives and doing in our lives that really, in and of itself, has kind of an emptiness in it because it doesn't have the grounding underneath it of spirit. And so it's waiting before we assert that new beginning. Yet we are going to have lots and lots and lots of pressure in our lives to do it differently. Why do we pressure one another and ourselves to move on, to move through, to get over it? You know, we don't really like to feel pain, if there's any pain. We don't want our friends or our beloveds to suffer in any way. And, you know, we maybe just want our cheerful old pal back and they, we want them to get on with it so we can have our pal back to, the, to themselves. And so all of those are understandable ways in which we tend to have this sense of, you know, pushing ourselves to move on when we're not ready yet. But yet I can't think of a single example in my life or in anybody's life who I know of who have gained something or it's been effective for them to push on through when they weren't ready yet, to not grieve whatever needed to be grieved, or as Karen Drucker sings, to not be gentle enough with themselves to allow the slowest part of them to, to go at the pace of the, that the slowest part of them feels safe to go. So I will be gentle with myself as a song. I will be gentle with myself. I will only go as fast as the slowest part of me feels safe to go. Years ago, I had a friend who would go into these cycles of deep depression. And I would always do things like try to cheer her up or give her solutions or ideas, you know, the fix-it kind of (laughs) impulse. Anybody have that? Yeah. And I learned over time, it was like just to sit there and let the space be empty let my side of the phone be empty so that she could just talk and, and have a listening ear and have a space 
we were both then creating a space to allow spirit to move and do the healing, right? Just a bearing witness. And of course, it's far more effective to do that, and it is so for ourselves too, to give ourselves the space to bear witness to ourselves and what's going on, to be kind enough to listen to what's happening in our hearts and what spirit has to say to us will always serve us best. So, you know, back in the day in our spiritual walk, did you ever hear the idea, nature abhors a vacuum? Yeah, that's actually attributed to Aristotle. And I've never resonated with that idea that nature abhors a vacuum. The idea is, oh, because nature abhors a vacuum that we must fill it quickly or otherwise the universe will bring you something that you may not want. And so you better get busy affirming and claiming and expecting and getting it, you know, this or something better out, out there in the universe. And um, I look at nature and I think, I don't think nature abhors anything to begin with. And then emptiness, you know, this vacuum idea, doesn't seem so. I mean, it's like the season of winter, the hollows of trees. You know, there are so many things in nature that feel like it's an embracing of that, the nakedness of trees in the winter, the cycles, the pauses between cycles. All of that seems to me to be an embracing and allowing. Seems like nature's fine with it just fine with the emptiness. And so I think the call is for us to be fine with it too. You know, the envisioning will come. That last phase will come at the right time. So the pseudo new beginning, we don't wanna do. And really, if we really embrace the nothingness part, the emptiness part, the envisioning will just arise naturally because spirit will give us the vision of what's next when the time is right. We'll know which door to open when the time is right. It won't be a struggle anymore. And what if we wait for it to arise in that organic way, that vision of what's next, it will be clearer and truer and better for our soul. So that one is easy just to allow ourselves to be with it. So each life change that we go through is a bit like a big wave, an ocean wave. And the process of dealing with it is a bit like a surfer surfing the waves of life's changes. And our part is to become a more skillful surfer. Anybody surf ever? Couple of you. Anybody wish they had surfed or <laughs> want to surf? Oh, more of you, okay. Anybody ever watch surfers? Okay, good, we're, we're all on the same page. You got a, you got a sense of it. So even if we've never surfed, we probably have a sense of what surfing is about. And actually, these four phases are really, um, that you can see them in surfing. So the surfer embraces what is. They have to wait for the waves, right? And then the, the role, if they're, if they're actively surfing, is to move with the wave, to surf the top of that wave, to, to ride it with joy and acceleration until it resolves, ideally, right? And so there is that process of constantly embracing, accepting and embracing when they fall, when they don't catch the wave, when it isn't successful. And emoting, if you ever ask surfers, it seems like, just about anybody I've ever read about or heard about names freedom as one of the things they feel the most when they're surfing. 
freedom and exhilaration and adventure and joy and connection, connection to nature, connection to the water, connection to, to the allness, right? Maybe a little fear, perhaps, too, you know, comes with that process. So there's a lot of emoting that is, a pro that is part of the surfing experience. And there is emptying. There is a lot of time the surfers spend hanging out on their surfboard, waiting for the wave, waiting for the action. Surfers sit for long stretches. And in fact, academic research has shown that surfers spend about 54% of every surfing session just paddling to get in line or to get set up for the wave, and another 28% of their time just hanging out on their surfboard, waiting for the waves to come. So you can see in the sport, not very much of it is actually spent surfing the waves, what it is intended to be. There's a lot of beingness in it. And the envisioning, of course, is the, the envisioning of riding that wave when it comes. The next big wave. Are you ready for it? Whatever it may be. So we're all surfers of life's changes, really. We all have that ability to ride the waves and to get more and more skillful each time we do so. When we move through these four phases with respect, especially respect for standing at nil or for nothingness, we do realize that the emoting, the embracing, the emptying, especially the emptying, the envisioning, is all a part of the process. And that actually nothing is quite something. So let's affirm as we move through our week this week, wherever you are in your life, whether you are in the midst of a big transition or something is happening in your life, to recognize that you can really meet it and ride this wave with, with great skill and um, with a real spiritual centeredness. I invite you to say this with me. I am riding the wave of transition by deliberately doing nothing. And so it is. <laughs>